My dear brothers and sisters, we all have gathered here today to celebrate Ash Wednesday. This morning, a good friend of mine sent me a, 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 a meme in some sense, a picture with the text on it. And it was kind of funny, so I want to kind of share it with you. The, 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 the text said, Dear single women, looking to find a nice Catholic guy, tomorrow God will label them for you. And it's a picture of the newscaster from Sports Center with ashes on his forehead. I remember years ago going to school with ashes on my forehead. I didn't think about it much, but as I was going through about the day, one of my best friends said, hey, you have something on your forehead. I was like, what are you talking about? And I kind of started wiping my forehead, and I was like, oh, today's Ash Wednesday. That's what's on my head. I didn't think about it. It wasn't something very important or crucial within my own life. And like the meme I just shared with you guys, it's just a, an exterior marking on our forehead. So why does it matter? If we look throughout the church, the church is very full and packed today. And with all the services we've had so far, it's been a full house. So what are we coming to celebrate today? What are we really doing here what is the purpose and significance of all of this? Because for some, it's just a marking for a possibility to find your future husband, future wife. For me, it's just something that was on my forehead that I just needed to wipe off my head in the middle of a conversation with someone. So then what are we doing here? Why do we want to put ashes on our foreheads? And why does it really matter to us? Because it could be just a smudge. What are we celebrating, really? There's a deeper meaning to the ashes in which we're about to receive. It's a visible sign because we all, once we leave this church, we all will be marked with this visible sign of the cross on our forehead with ashes. But it doesn't just stay and stick and remain as a visible sign. But on the other hand, it speaks of an invisible reality. That is what I want us to focus on today. What is that invisible reality, the ashes we put on our foreheads, remind us of? When we speak of ashes, what do we, what do we recall? In a little bit, you'll hear the ministers who distribute ashes. One of the options they will say is, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That line should ring a bell for us because it draws us and points us back to our creation story. God created us out of dust. Okay? Dust. What makes us different, therefore, from the animals? They were created. They were created out of something. What makes us different, then, from them? If we read very carefully of our creation story, Jesus gives us the, bread of, the breath of life. He breathes on the dust. And therefore we are created in his image and his likeness. So then what is this invisible reality we speak of? We speak of this invisible reality, this relationship from the beginning that we were meant to have. This relationship that we were meant to be with and be in with God. There's nothing else in the world that matters. There's nothing else that is more important than that. 
But what happens to us as human beings? We begin to lose sight. We begin to forget of that intentional reality that we are supposed to be in. We forget of that invisible reality that we were meant to be and to have. And so throughout salvation history, we see our ancestors lose sight of that reality in so many different ways. Pick any story throughout Scripture, whether that's in Exodus, whether that's in the other books of the Bible. We see humanity fall and break what they're meant to be and meant to have, which is that intimate relationship with God. So when we mark ourselves with ashes, we're reminding ourselves this is the reality we're meant to be. This is the reality we were meant to have. What are we doing? Because the ashes aren't just marked as a really nice circle on your forehead, but it's marked in the sign of the cross. We ourselves are set apart, made different, created for God and to be with God. We are marked as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, or even in a more intimate sense, the lovers of Christ. So now we don't just speak of this internal reality. We make that internal reality visible so everyone can see. We show everyone and tell and remind everyone that we ourselves are Christian. Every day I am striving to live and to love God with my whole heart. But with the struggle of life, with the struggle of our brokenness, with the struggle of original sin, it becomes difficult. It becomes challenging. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question so don't feel like you have to raise your hand. How many of us feel and believe that it's easy to be sacrificially generous to others? How many of us believe and think it is easy to give up our life for the other? How many of us believe that power, prestige, and authority is not going to bring us any happiness? Most of us will answer, those are all important things in our life, and those are the things we chase and yearn for. We chase and yearn for these superficial things. We hear today in Scripture, fasting. Because we let our appetites, our desires within ourselves rule and run rampant in our lives. This morning, as I was kind of preparing and making a choice for lunch, what was interesting was the, the most appetizing thing on the menu happened to be steak, burgers, and all the beef products on the menu seemed to be the most appetizing thing there. But then as, as I scrolled through the menu, there was like one or two things that were seafood or vegetarian. And it was just like, oh, I don't know how appetizing that's going to be. But we let our appetites rule. We let that desire control every aspect of our life. We then engulf and engorge ourselves and make that desire so prevalent. Self-gratification becomes the ideal, the God of our life. But what does self-gratification do? Let's put ourselves back in like a Thanksgiving dinner. 
We say we're full after all these good dishes, but once dessert comes out, how many of us begin to stuff ourselves more with dessert? Self-gratification at, at, at its finest. We see that, that appetite controls and takes over our lives. And that's just food. There's other things within our lives that give us gratification, that hinder us from truly being free. If food has control of my life, then how is there room for God to have control of my life? If I let my appetites, my desires drive what I do, where I go, how am I going to let God guide me and lead me to where he wants me to be? Let, us put, let him put it this simply. If I was constantly being driven by eating McDonald's seven days a week for three meals a day, and I was asked by the Lord to go to, let's say, Abbott and Penelope, it's a, it's a city north of Waco. It's a very small town, which to my knowledge does not have a McDonald's. How am I going to be able to function and do God's work? Because I've let my desire of McDonald's, the necessity and the need to be fed by McDonald's, control my aspect of my life. And therefore, I'm going to go tell Bishop Olson, I'm sorry, Bishop. You have to find me a parish within a five-mile radius of a McDonald's. If there's not one, I can't go there. But those are the things that control our lives, that take, take root in our lives, and leave us no room for God. The second part, almsgiving. We have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters. The simple fact that everyone decides to move in towards the middle, to give room for our brothers and sisters that are still standing outside, reminds us that we're not just independent contractors. We're not independent Christians, but we're all interconnected as brothers and sisters. And our responsibility is to care for each and every one of them. Because in almsgiving, we recognize and begin to see God in and through the person next to us. It's easy to say now, I see God in and through someone next to me, when it's easy, when it's convenient, when we're comfortable. But let me ask you this, as husband and wife, when you guys go and have your argument at home, is it easy to see God in and through them? Is it comfortable to say, I love you, honey, I love you? Is that easy? Especially when you guys come to an argument and there's no, set, there's no ability to resolve that issue. Is it comfortable for you to come back to them and say, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake after that argument? Most of the time, you'll split ways, you'll leave, and maybe 24, 48 hours later, you'll come back together and apologize. But why can't we do it at that moment? Because we don't see the responsibility for the other. We don't see the need to execute that love that God has called us to. And then finally, prayer. How many times do we really pray? Honestly. Praying here is not just 
pleading for God to conform his will to ours, but to simply have a conversation with him. When was the last time we talked to God as if you and I are talking right now? Because for us to be able to see our brothers and sisters as created in the image and likeness of God, if we're able to allow our self-gratification to rid itself, it has to begin from somewhere. There has to be a source of, of love. There has to be a source in which we are being filled with. What is that source? That source is God in prayer. But how many of us have spent the time in prayer to recognize, to realize what we truly believe, what we truly to hold true? Because if we believe that we believe in God, then there's always a need to turn to Him. But if we believe that there is a God, there's no need to turn to Him. Because we only turn to Him when it's convenient and when it's easy. So what are we believing? What are we holding true? Because that visible sign that we're going to be marked with says that I believe in God. That there is a God and I have a relationship with Him. And because of that relationship, I rid myself of all the things that are hindering me from loving Him more. And I'm leaving all that behind. And in doing so, I have room to fill myself with that love. And because, of, because, of, because God is overfilling me, I can therefore share that with my brothers and sisters. So as we come and prepare to receive ashes, my dear brothers and sisters, it's a, visible, it's a visible sign of an invisible reality. We're marked as Christians. We're marked as followers and lovers of God. So as we enter into this Lenten season, it's not just the 40, 50 days that we're here to work on it formally and liturgically. But Lent should be a lifetime. Lent should be a way of life in which we constantly go back, reflect, and ask ourselves, is, am, am I saying and living up what I'm telling people? Does the reality that I speak of truly exist in my life? Does my proclamation of being Christian truly exist and is in everything that I do? Or is my Christian identity just this thing I say, just this thing, this clique, this cult I belong to, just this thing that I have to do because it's part of my obligation? Let us take this time in Lent to reflect on those hard questions, to wrestle with that reality of our Christian identity so that we, if we don't have one, let us begin to build one today. If we have a Christian identity, how can we strengthen, enhance, and grow that Christian identity so that when it comes to our time in which our bodies return to the dust of the earth, we will hear God say, good and faithful servant, Welcome to the kingdom of God. Amen.